you have a Bible, please take it and turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. We've been thinking about prayer in recent days, and this will be our last in four weeks of thinking specifically about prayer in our lives. Um, And the the bulk will not be about prayer, but we're going to push towards this idea and this topic of prayer. So if it doesn't seem like it's there at the beginning, we're going to get there, um, I promise. So we're in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20, a passage that many of us are familiar with about the armor of God. Um, in the movie Gettysburg, if you've ever seen that, the movie Gettysburg talks about the Battle of Gettysburg in the Civil War. Um, in that movie, one of the high points, it's the end of the first VHS, if you still have the VHS version. That's the version I had for a while. But it, one of the highlights is its depiction of um, Colonel Joshua Chamberlain and his defense of Little Round Top. If you've seen the movie, you probably remember this, this scene. But what's happening is the Confederate forces are advancing. Um, and in this scene, the battle is, is introduced beforehand by a commanding officer coming to, to Chamberlain and saying that his regiment is the end of the line, that they are the furthest most of the Union forces that are defending this this hill and keeping the enemy from gaining the, the high ground. And if they gain that high ground, it will turn the tide of this whole battle, not only this battle, but possibly the entire war itself that had been raging for so many years. And so the encouragement of this officer to Colonel Chamberlain is he says, that, that they are the end of the line and they must hold this line. That they need to boldly stand their ground in the face of battle. They cannot retreat. They cannot move. They have to stand firm in that moment. And Paul begins this passage that we're going to look at with the word, finally. Now, for those of you studying with the youth, we're going through the book of Philippians. This is not like Paul's finally at the beginning of chapter 3, where then he goes on for another two chapters. But actually, Paul is is bringing things to a close here in the book of Ephesians. And, and he's, he's closing it with this rousing call for the Ephesians and also for us to to put on the armor of God, to be strong, to stand firm in the face of opposition. It's this, it's this battlefield sort of speech. It's filled with the imagery of, of war, with encouragements to, to be bold, with, with um, commands to put on protective armor. So if you're a, a kid or maybe a kid at heart and you think about putting on armor, that's, that's kind of what he's talking about here, to put on the, the armor of God. And the call of this passage is very simple. And it's very sobering, and it's just this, it's two words, and it's stand firm. As Paul is bringing this book to a close, and he's saying to the Ephesians, he's saying to us, stand firm. Now we all need this, we all need this, this stirring call to action, this rousing command to stand firm, because often in the fight of faith we imagine that this fight, this war, is more like laser tag than it is like live combat if you've ever played laser tag it's it's pretty nonchalant you know um we we you don't you you smile when you get shot by someone else and you don't really take dead aim at someone and you assume it's going to be over in about 15 minutes and you'll be back in the lobby eating some nachos from the snack bar or something like that but but that's not what paul's talking about in actuality he's saying this is a, a real battle this is a spiritual battle that we're called to fight in, and it is very, very real. And unless we take seriously his commands to stand firm, if we, unless we determine for our whole lives to stand firm, then we will live 
in defeat. We will be drawn back into old ways of, of thinking, into old patterns of things that are not in line with the truth of the gospel that we have been taught, and we will suffer defeat. We won't walk worthy of the calling to which we have been called that Paul says in this, in this book, but we will instead fall in defeat in the midst of this sort of fog of war. And so in light of this, in light of the battle that's surrounding us, we are called to stand firm. As we look at this, this passage as a whole, we're gonna, we're gonna try to emphasize the place of prayer in seeking to, to stand from. We're gonna see that the vital role that, that prayer has in calling us to stand firm in the gospel, as well as seeing the gospel advance, how prayer fits into that. But let's read Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20, just to set the context, cause we're jumping in at the end of a book. Um, Paul has written this church, this book to the church in Ephesus, but it was probably a cyclical letter, meaning that it went to other churches as, as well. But he's writing it to encourage them. One of the major issues in the church in that day, especially in, in Ephesus, but elsewhere as well, was this divide between Jews and Gentiles, and specifically the Jewish people who were saying that we are saved by faith, but we are, we, you need to go back to Old Testament law, you need to go back to works once that, that happens. And, and Paul goes to great pains to say that that's not true and that's a big part of this standing firm is standing firm in the gospel and not going back into that trap of of legalism so let's read this together ephesians 6 and i'll start in verse 10 paul writes finally be strong in the lord and in the strength of his might put on the whole armor of god that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Hopefully as we're reading through that, you can see this emphasis on standing firm. He just continues to repeat that. He's talking about standing firm. And in this call to stand firm, he gives us some things that, that we need to know. So he kind of gathers us together and, and, and explains some, some truths that we need to know if we're going to really stand firm. And the first thing that we find in the passage is, is the enemy that we face. The enemy that we must face. Um, In any battle, you need to know who you're fighting, right? Because you don't want to be fighting the people that are on your own side, and you don't want to be caught up in other skirmishes that don't really even matter. So Paul makes it clear um, who we are not fighting or what we are not fighting. He says the battle is not against, verse 12, flesh and blood. Now, I don't think flesh here has to do with that, that, um, the sinful flesh that Paul often talks about, but rather he's, he's saying that the battle that we're, we're fighting is not a, it's not a physical person or, or entity of some kind. 
the, the, the false teachers that were there in the church or the, or the Gentiles or other people in general. That, that's not our enemy. Our enemy is not some sort of flesh and blood person. The battle has nothing to do with physical combat of any time. So it, if I started talking about armor of God and you got excited like we're gonna, you know, we're gonna duke it out with some people, it, that's not what he's talking about. He says it's not a physical battle. This is a metaphor. Rather, he says the enemy is found in the invisible forces of wickedness. He says that there in in verse 12, against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. These are all descriptions of, of, of demonic forces, of evil, unseen spiritual forces that are raging against us. We're taken up into the heavenlies. And this is where Paul often goes in the book of Ephesians. He highlights it throughout the letter. He says that we are seated in the heavenlies in chapter 2. But he also talks about that, that the heavenlies is the place where the, the battle for the souls of men and women has begun and where it continues. That this is where it's really happening, is in the heavenlies, in this unseen place. So it's an unseen spiritual battle. It's led by Satan, the prince and the power of the heirs. And, and it's a battle for our hearts, and it's a battle for our minds. The fight is to stand firm, and to stand firm, in fact, in the truth of the gospel that has been laid out throughout this book. Paul shows us throughout Ephesians what the character of this this good news is. Let me summarize it for you. In chapter 1, he shows us that the gospel has been initiated by God. It's a salvation that God has opened our eyes to. That salvation is a work of God from beginning to end. It's all a work that He has done. Chapters 2 and 3 talk about a reconciliation that we have. A reconciliation through Christ with God, that we have been made right with God, and having been made right with God, we are also made right with all people. Christ reconciles all things and all people in Himself, and He brings us all together. This is the the mystery of the Gospel, that the Gentiles have been brought in, and all are one in Christ. Chapters 4 and 5, and then the beginning of verse 6 get really practical, and they they put us on this path of of walking worthy of our calling, of not walking as the Gentiles do, and walking in love. It's all this theme of of walking. This is a message that that we're called to to put off the deeds of the flesh. We're called to be renewed in the spirit of our mind, and then to to put on the, the new self. That serves God and, and serves others in love and submits where it's where it's necessary. This is the gospel that we're supposed to stand in. And, the, and the Paul is warning against a danger that spiritual forces are seeking to pull us away from this gospel and pull us into to legalism, to pull us into division amongst one another, to pull us into pride, to pull us into sinful indulgence. I, I think Galatians five one helps us to see what he's saying. This is what Galatians five one says. It says. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Then he uses this phrase again, stand firm therefore, same idea, right? Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't get drawn into a yoke of slavery. Paul is calling us to not allow the deception of Satan to to pull us back into some sort of works-based legalistic gospel that is really not good news. It's not good news at all. Rather, this is something that, that legalism is something that, that Peter says in Acts. He says it's, it's something that none of us have ever been able to stand up underneath. We're, we're to affirm the gospel. This has freed us from everything. Paul says in, in, in Acts that, that the gospel has freed us from everything in a way that the law of Moses never was able to do. The gospel has done something that, that Moses could never accomplish. 
The most difficult thing about this, the most difficult thing about the, the enemy that we're facing is, is that his message to go back into these old ways, that these things that he's trying to draw us back into, these patterns of, of trying to earn our salvation or thinking wrongly about what God has done, these are things that we naturally want to go back into. So Satan is, as it were, pulling us downhill. It's not an uphill battle. This is where we want to go. We want to go back into to lists and into rules and into self-made religion and to earning our salvation before God. So it, this, is, this is bound up in our hearts. Legalism, all these things. Lists are easy. Freedom is hard. Even as a pastor, it's easy for me to, to just say, here's the things you need to do to be holy. But that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is about freedom. And we can't go back into legalism. We must not go back. We must stand firm in the truth of the gospel. We have to hold the line, as it were. So our enemy, he says, that we're, we're learning who our enemy is. Our enemy is, is, is not of this world. And the battle is not so much for our own personal holiness. I think the battle here is, is again, it's a battle against the forces of spiritual darkness that want to, to drag us back into this misunderstanding of the gospel, into the darkness of salvation apart from Christ, into the darkness of a salvation that's, that's about what I can do. So it's a battle we need to take seriously. And if this is the battle, an unseen spiritual battle for our hearts and our minds, then Paul's going to give us the perfect armor. He gives us exactly what we need. So that's the next thing we see. It's the armor that we must put on. The armor that we have to, to take up and put on. Verse 10 shows us right off the bat that we need to be strong in this fight, but that the strength that we have comes from the Lord. So finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And then as he talks about the armor of God, there's this sense in which he says, you have put on this armor, but also you are putting on this armor. So this is what we have put on, and it's what we must continue to put on in this fight. And I think this is where we often fail in the battle, isn't it? It's, it's that we, we don't get this balance right. We, gotta, we have to strike the proper balance. It's not just to let go and let God, but, it, but it's also not to move on and forget God. That there has to be some sort of balance that we need to be strong in the strength that the Lord provides. It's, it's this both and, this mystery of how we all work together with God. And also, this armor is not just individualistic, but rather, rather the armor is an armor that we are to put on as God's gathered people, as the church, as the body of Christ. Doesn't that make sense? If we are the body of Christ, that we would all be wearing this, this armor. So it is something that we as individuals put on, but it's also something that we as an entity, as a, as a church, as a collective group, put on together. So the armor begins, it begins with a belt. It's a good place to start, the belt of truth. And the belt is, is what everything else would hook to. It's what holds all things together. And the truth he's speaking about here seems to harken back to chapter 1 and verse 13. It says there in chapter 113, In whom, Jesus, in whom you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It, it's the truth of, of chapter 4, verse 21, that, that, this is, uh, that we need to stand firm in the gospel of our salvation. It's a salvation that has been planned before the world began. It's a salvation that, which we have believed and by which we are sealed by the Holy Spirit and we're looking forward to the, the, the Holy Spirit as the guarantee of our coming inheritance. This is what we need to stand in. And tied to that belt of truth is this breastplate of righteousness. The text again, it says, having put on having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So this righteousness, I think, has to do with the righteousness of Christ, that what Paul calls an alien righteousness. 
not from aliens, but rather that is not our own. It's, it's not my righteousness, it's, it's from Christ. He's given it to us. That we're putting on righteousness in our lives. As chapter 4, verse 24 talks about this new self that's created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. But there's a balance. We have been declared righteous in the gospel, but we are also becoming righteous, aren't we? I, I am declared righteous before God. I am justified by faith alone, but I am also being sanctified. I, I stand firm. I am assured of my position in Christ because of His righteousness, but I am also assured of my position in Christ because righteousness is blooming in my life. I'm seeing that blossom, and, and that makes me know I can stand firm in this gospel. I don't need to go back into anything else because I have the righteousness of Christ. I know that it is mine, and I know it is becoming mine more and more. And our feet, our feet are covered with, with shoes, the, with the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So if we're going to stand against the the, the hostile, the dividing forces of evil, we must remember that we have, we have peace. That God has made peace between us and Himself through the cross. Through the, through the cross. He, has, he has reconciled us to Himself. He has made us right with Him. We are no longer His enemies. We were His enemies. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. In fact, we are on Satan's side. Ephesians 2, the beginning there says that we were walking according to the course of this world. We were in allegiance with Satan. But now we have been made at peace with God. And we have to hold on to this, this truth, that hold fast to the truth that God, who is rich in mercy and love, has raised us up, has seated us with Christ in the heavenlies. And as we're united to Christ, we're reconciled to God, we are also united with all other people. This is another peace that happens. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, if you look in verse 13, this beautiful description of the peace that we have with all people now. It says there, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, speaking of the Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that He might create in Himself one New man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. So Paul's saying, put on these shoes of the gospel of peace, that you are at peace with God and you are at peace with with all of the people because we are united in Christ. We can't go back into some sort of hostility towards others. That's what, that's what Peter does in the book of Galatians. Peter, the apostle Peter, goes back into this old way of thinking that there's some sort of separation based on, on class or based on ethnicity. And he drags Barnabas along with him. They separate from the Gentiles and they well, we're the Jews and, and we need to do our certain things over here. And Paul shows up. Paul comes up and boldly it says... I confronted Peter to his face, it says. Paul went toe-to-toe with, with Peter and said, listen, what you are doing, he says, it's not in concert, it's not according to the gospel. This is not gospel, this separation between because of ethnicities. And he calls him to, to, to back to the truth of the peace that God has brought about between us and him and also between us and all of the people. As we look at the armor of God slowly, I think we realize that the battle here is, is it's, it's for our hearts and it's, 
It's for our minds, and it's a battle to re- to remember the gospel, to remember everything that God has done for us in Christ, to remember the beauty of salvation, and not go back into old ways of thinking and acting. Don't go back into that, Paul says. He says, stand firm. He says, stand firm with the shield of faith. We have this shield of faith, and we are to do it in all circumstances, he said. It's, it's there in, in, in verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. We're to do it in all circumstances because the Christian life from beginning to end is a life of faith. The message of salvation from Genesis to Revelation is a message of faith. It's trust in God. As Paul says in Galatians, we don't begin our walk by faith only to be perfected by works. That's not how it works. We're people who, Philippians 3.3 says, we boast in Christ Jesus and we put no confidence in the flesh. Paul is clear in chapter 2. He says that we are saved by grace, through faith, not by works. And so we need to hold this shield of faith. We need to hold on to that or else we're, we're robbing God of His glory. We're saying that we are doing something else. We're boasting in our wisdom. We're boasting in, in our strength. We're boasting in, in our might. But Jeremiah, you remember what he says? He says, let him who boasts, boast what? In the Lord. We boast in the Lord because, and that's what faith does. Faith boasts in God. It puts no confidence in the flesh. It boasts in the cross by which the world is crucified to me and I am crucified to the world. I've got to take up this shield of faith. Don't fall back into thinking, I can save myself. We trust in God fully. We put on the helmet of salvation. It says there in verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. I wonder if that's not actually just a reference to Christ himself. Because Christ is the head of the body, isn't he? And, and he is not just the head of the body, he is our salvation. So if we stand firm, we're standing firm by exalting Christ as, as both the source and the goal of our salvation. We hold firm to the, to the sword, which is the, the word of God. We wield God's word like, like a weapon, he says. We're to use it to, re, to renew our minds so we can put on the new self. We let Scripture be the standard by which we measure all things, or else we're going we're gonna to mess up like, like chapter 4, verse 14 says. He says we can't be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We need to hold the Word of God, and when these schemes and these, this, this, these lies from Satan show up, that we, we know God's Word, and we use it like a sword, and we, we kill that false doctrine. We, we kill these things that are drawing us back into false ways of thinking. We follow in the footsteps of our elder brother Jesus, right? And when Satan brings lies to him, what does he say? It is written. I know what God's Word says. You can't lie to me, Satan. And the final piece of armor that we often don't see as armor is prayer. It says in verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit and with all prayer and supplication. In this battle to stand firm, we are called to pray at all times in the Spirit. Paul, throughout the book of Ephesians, models what prayer looks like at the end of chapter 1, at the end of chapter 3. And now he's calling us to pray at all times in the Spirit. We believe that only God can open up eyes to see the truth of the gospel. And if that's true, then only God can take us further up and further in to know more of who Christ is and to know more of what the gospel is and to stand firm in it so that we would never go back into old ways of thinking. 
Only God can strengthen us, as he prays in in chapter 3, to understand the incomprehensible love of God. Only God, through prayer, can help us to stand. Only, Only God can keep our church standing firm in the gospel. We should be amazed, week after week, that we still hold true to the truth of the gospel. That is a divine work of God. That's something that he is doing to us, that we haven't fallen away from that. It's not our well-honed theology. It's not our great statement of faith. It's not any sermon that I've preached. It's, it's the work of God through his word that keeps us holding to the truth of the gospel. And so we need to pray that God would cause us to stand firm, to keep holding on to that, to not waver into some false gospel or into a watered-down gospel or into the lie of the prosperity gospel or into some gospel of our own doing, that we would hold firm, we would stand firm in the gospel. We need to put on prayer, and we put it on like armor. We, we, we pray with all our strength that, that we would fully rely on all the strength that God has given. He would open our eyes to see and to love what He has done for us in Christ. So, so the effect of this armor is that it helps us to see through all the lies that Satan would bring us. So Satan comes and, and he, he accuses us. He's the accuser of the brethren, right? He accuses us of sin, but, but we know... We know that we have the breastplate of righteousness. We know that we are righteous in Christ. And so there's nothing that he can accuse us of. He comes and he asks if we are truly children of God. Are you really a son of God? Is that, is that really your identity? And we, we look at our belt of truth and we say, yes, God has adopted me as his child. That's the truth of the gospel. We take God's word and we use it like a weapon and we slice off the head of Satan. He calls us back into some sort of pride of of legalism. But instead of looking at ourselves, we look to the head, right? We look to Christ and we see Christ is the source and the goal of my salvation. I will not fall into some sort of legalistic pride that I've done this on my own, that I can earn God's favor. That's a lie. I'm not living in that. Satan creates division based on externals. We've been reconciled to God and we've been reconciled to other people. but, But Satan wants to create division. He wants to create racism and classism and sexism and all these other isms that, that divide people based on externals. But, but instead, we recall that, that God has given us peace. He's given us shoes of the gospel of peace. And that, that, that has brought peace between all people. I'm not going to go back into that way of thinking. We need to follow the advice of Martin Luther. We sang his famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress, this morning. It's that, that bold stand again. But surely, I think Luther was tempted to, to just scrap this doctrine of by grace, through faith alone, go back into the way things were. But he, he says, he gives us this advice. He says, when the, when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you, de- that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? I love that phrase. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where He is, there I shall be also. He says, I, I'm not, you're right, Satan, but I'm not going to take that lie and let it cause me to fall back into some false way of thinking, because this is what's true. Brothers and sisters, we, we have to preach this gospel to ourselves. We have to preach this gospel to, to one another. But we have to look so often at the truth that we will stand firm in it. That going back to some other gospel would seem like just utter foolishness. We need to be so armed with, with love for and joy in the gospel that we would see through all the lies of, of Satan. There's an author, Jared Wilson, who's a pastor in Vermont. He gives this illustration. He says, when I moved to Vermont, I heard a lot about the maple syrup here. 
I thought I had had maple syrup before. It turns out I had only engaged in a corn syrup masquerade. <laughs> Aunt Jemima, Mrs. Butterworth, all shams. Those probably aren't even their real names. <laughs> it wasn't until I actually tasted 100% pure dark amber Vermont maple syrup that I saw what I had only heard about before. And now, he says, this is the key. I will not have any other kind of syrup except under protest. It is too late. I will not go back. I've tasted the goodness and lost my taste for the pale imitations. I love that illustration because I think that's what Paul's talking about here. When we put on this armor of God, what it does is it helps us to to see the beauty of the gospel. It helps us to see through the lies of the evil one. To see that the, the gospel is all satisfying. That Christ has given us everything that we need. And we have no interest in returning to, to darkness. We have no interest in returning to legalism. I don't want to go back into that. Why in the world would I go back into that? So as one of your pastors, that, that's, that's what I want to do. I want us to hold up week after week and beyond as we meet as one-to-one or in homes that the beauty of the gospel, that we would rejoice in this glorious mystery that Christ has done. And so the temptation when it faces you to return back into some legalism or to, into, uh, into sectarianism or into any, any other false gospel that you would say, what, you want me to go back to that? Why in the world would I do that? I've tasted the real thing. I've tasted what, what is all satisfying in Christ. Why would I ever do that? I'll stand here. No thanks. The only thing that's going to do that is if we are joyfully standing in the gospel and calling each other to stand firm. And again, I think this is all rooted in prayer. He says that we should make supplication. And then at, at the second part of verse 18, to that, that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We are to ask that God would allow us all to stand firm, that we should take these prayers of chapter 1 and chapter 3 and pray them for, for ourselves and pray them for, for one another. We need to pray at all times. We need to be armed with the, the truth of the gospel that is found in Christ alone. So there's the battle that we face. There's this armor that we need to put on. And then very quickly, let me just note the advance that we are to make. The, the advance that we must make. There's an advance that needs to happen too. Go back to that illustration from the movie Gettysburg. Having, having held Little Round Top, there were waves and waves of attack coming up that hill, and Chamberlain and his forces held the line, and they, they did not allow them to come, but suddenly they were running out of ammunition, and they were running out of options. And so Chamberlain boldly said that if they were going to stand, if they were going to keep that hill firm, if they were going to stand firm, then they needed to fix bayonets and not simply stand there, but also charge against the enemy. And so there's this beautiful scene as they fix their bayonets and they just sweep down this hill and it becomes the death blow to the Confederate forces that were trying to come up and they stand firm and they hold that line. And so here, having talked about, about prayer and ask that prayer be made for, for all the saints, that all the saints would stand firm in the gospel. Notice that Paul then says, I want you to pray for me. And he's praying for this advance of the gospel that we are to stand firm in. So he says, make supplication for all the saints. And then verse 19, and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He, he says, pray for me. Pray that I would boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Pray that words would be given to me that I could tell others this, this good news. 
He's telling others this, about this amazing reconciliation that's happened between Jew and Gentile, between Christ and all nations, between God and us. And he's coming up against all this opposition for it. He's told us that, that he's an ambassador in chains. Yes, the battle is spiritual, but he's facing real physical results because of that. He is in prison. And even in prison, he wants to see the, the gospel move forward. He wants to see the good news of Christ advance he wants to see people who are walking in darkness, who are in this, this lie, who are slaves to Satan, who are children of God's wrath. He wants to see them brought out of that and made children of God so that they can stand firm with us. He wants those who are fading back into legalism and into divisiveness to, to come out of that and stand firm in the truth. And so we see our standing firm, that idea, just it seems static. I'm just going to stand here and put walls around me. But, but rather that this is not static, but, but being filled with the armor of God, it's not passive or it's not timid, but it's a bold thing and it proclaims the good news. It calls people to, to faith in Jesus. It relies on God in prayer to, to do the work of salvation. So we're not simply to, to hold on to the truth and rejoice that we have come to see the beauty of the gospel. We are to pray that, that God would do the work of salvation, that it would continue to advance, and that he would use us and others to press that out into the world. There it is again, this, 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 this relationship where we are to boldly proclaim the good news, but we fully rely on God to give us the courage to boldly proclaim the good news. So, so we, we advance, but the advance that we make is rooted in prayer. Even Paul is asking for prayer. I mean, you ever, ever get nervous about sharing the gospel? I think if you're human, you get nervous about sharing the gospel, right? And, and it's good to remember that Paul was human. Because Paul says to them, pray for me, that I would be bold like I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be bold. And I think understand, we understand that, that sometimes Paul was scared. I mean, Paul was stoned to the point of death, possibly even dying and being raised from the dead. We're not really sure what happened there. I'd be a little scared. But somehow God gave him power, even after that, that he got up and walked right back into the city and kept preaching the gospel. That, that's supernatural. That's not Paul. That's God, and that's people partnering with him in prayer. You ever get afraid before you, you're going to preach the gospel that you won't know what to say? Some people say that's an excuse for not sharing the gospel. Well, Paul didn't think so. He thought that was a point for prayer. He says, pray that words would be given to me. Paul thought sometimes, I don't know what to say. I don't know, I don't know what to say. So pray for me that words would be given to me so I would know what to say. Paul's not relying on his own strength, which is what we so often do. But rather, he's relying on the power of God. He recognizes that salvation from beginning to end is a work of God. Only God can open eyes and hearts to see. But he's given us this responsibility. And so he says, if God alone can do it, we got to pray. You guys got to pray for me in this, this, this movement of the gospel out into the nations. And we need to, to pray for ourselves. We need to pray for one another. I love that the, the whole book of Ephesians, th- this section about standing firm, and the whole book is closing with this great call to prayer because it recognizes that only God can do these things. So we are called to, to pray for the advance of the gospel. We, we need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray that we would have that boldness, that God would give us words to say to tell the truth of the gospel. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. Some who know very well what Paul's talking about when he says, I'm an ambassador in chains. 
They know because they, they've experienced that themselves. We need to pray for them. And Paul tells us what to pray. Pray that they would be given words. Pray that they would have the boldness to preach the gospel as they ought to preach it. We need to pray for, for missionaries that we support, that they would have words to say and boldness to say it, and that God would be opening hearts and minds to understand. We need to pray for our city, for our neighborhood. We need to pray for other churches and ministries in this place, that, that we would be bold and that God would give us words. We should be praying for one another often. Very often when we, when we gather on Sunday evenings, shouldn't we say to one another, you know, I want to preach the gospel this week. Would you pray for me? Pray that I would have words to say. And pray that I would have the boldness to say it. That I would be relying on the strength of the Spirit, trusting that only He can do it, but that I would also have the boldness and have the words to do what Christ has called me to do. All that's happening as we are standing firm in the gospel ourselves. We have fitted ourselves with this armor, with a, with a belt of truth and a breastplate of righteousness. We're trusting in Christ as the head of our salvation. We know about the gospel that has brought peace between us and God. We have His Word hidden in our hearts and we use it like a sword. And we, we have a shield of faith. We're trusting that God alone can do this. And we're praying at all times. What we're asking that God would give us the strength to stand firm, but not just to stand firm, but to advance against this enemy as it were, to make that bay and that charge down the hill and to take the gospel into the darkness and see it break through so that others would stand firm. This is the battle we face. And it's a spiritual battle. And so in a spiritual battle, God gives us the right armor and it's the armor of the good news that He has given us in the gospel. And He calls us to stand firm. Can't do it in our own strength. We must pray for one another. We must pray for this church that we would stand firm. But not just that we would stand, but that we would advance. That we would take the light of the gospel into dark places. That we would do it with boldness. That Christ would give us words and that he would do what only he can. That he would open up minds and hearts to see the truth so that others would be changed. Brothers and sisters, we need to pray. We need to trust God. So I encourage you to stand firm. Let me have us take a moment of silence to reflect on God's word. And then I will close this in prayer and we'll sing an appropriate song. So let's take a moment of silence. Father, on our own we have nothing to stand on all other ground besides Jesus is sinking sand let us stand firm on the rock that is Christ and the good news that he has proclaimed let us stand firm there God there's so many temptations to fall back into some other way of pleasing you or honoring you or earning our salvation, being divided from others. Lord, these are all false gospels, things that we don't want to believe. So help us to stand firm as individuals and as a church. Lord, I pray for those that maybe here don't know you, that they have nothing to stand on before you, that if they were to stand before your throne and you asked them what grounds they had to be accepted, they would have nothing 
Lord, I pray that you would help them to see the beauty of Christ, the beauty of the gospel, the way that you have provided a way for us to be saved. And I pray for each of us, Lord, that we would pray, that we would not just stand here, that we would not sit in our own four walls, but that we would make an advance, that we would take the good news boldly, that you would give us words to break out into this world, into this neighborhood, into the lives of our friends and our relatives, and to tell them what Christ has done. Help us to do that. Help us to pray for one another. We put our confidence in you. We don't put our confidence in strategies or in works of the flesh, Lord. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Help that always to be true. So, Lord, we, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Help us to continue to meditate on it and to stand firm. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.